Uh, we back. Uh, you know, I just realized there is a little bit of an echo in here. I was wondering why it was, but it's because that's fucking. Yeah, yeah there's just a little <laughs> bit of one. Yeah. Oh my goodness, what's good, bro? Oh, you know, man, having a good week. Show wise, it's uh, it's been a good one. Get a little warmer weather again for a minute before it gets cold again for the rest of the rest of the winter. But I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Exceptional. Uh, I'm on some. Someone asked me out there, it's like, how you been? I'm like, how's the comedy career going? Uh, nothing to complain about. Like, I'm off complaining. Right, right. It's not productive. First, first things first, uh, we're back in Mason City, Bruin. Yes, sir. This is my seventh annual Toys for Todd comedy show. It's got to be like my sixth. It is your sixth. I was actually, I, I did the, I was looking back, I was trying to figure out if you had been on every single one, but the first time we actually had it here, you were not a part of. I want to start with uh, your introduction. What would you want people to say about you before you take the stage? Hey, here's a quick shout out to a local photographer and all around creative type, Clayton Moritz. He has two Instagram profiles, a personal and a professional. The personal, all one word, that guy who walks around town. He has a dark room link in his bio with Prince Purcell. I first met Clayton at a peaceful protest following the murder of George Floyd back in 2020. Even last year, he took pictures at our reproductive rights march that we held in Mason City, Iowa. He just has the ability to capture the moment. You know, like one of those, like, hey, I want to frame this. His other instagram page is brambo jamps which i will definitely spell out the name in the episode description <laughs> i don't even know what a brambo jamps is but look if you need a cool picture for the office spare bedroom you just need a fun gift idea contact clayton and please tell him they sent you well i've been trying to figure that out because like you know the first gut like check reaction is like uh second place winner the funniest person in iowa contest but like the more that I hear people say it, as I have them say it, the more it just feels like it's like, that's just like a bullshit kind of credential. It wasn't, I mean, it was, it was a great contest and it was a lot of fun and there were a lot of talented comics there and I did come in second, but like, I don't know, man, like I'm trying to figure that out right now. What do I want my intro to be? What, how do I want the host to bring me up? Mostly like, I, I, I like it to be like weird. You know what I mean? I, I'd like to, I like it to be a little strange. It's hard to like gas yourself up when you're writing your own bio and when you're writing your own, in- own intro. I'm ha- I have a hard time like putting down like shit where it's like, well, I'm the shit and here's why. Like I suck at that. So like right now, like tonight, it, w- it would be fucking awesome if if you said like uh, from right here in Mason City, every night he gives a hairless guinea pig a bath before bed. You know what I mean? Just shit like that. It's dumb, but I don't need him to like. You know, I want. I'm gonna have to go up there and earn their respect, anyways, or earn their laughs, anyways. And I, I don't. I just don't know that second place in the funniest person in Iowa contest is immediately gonna just make them go, "Oh, this guy's the real deal." You know what I mean? I've also been around long enough to say, "What you earn is not by chance." Right. So, uh, if it's the first place, if it's the second place, if it's the third place, if you are, I was a semifinalist and a fucking comedy contest last year. Okay. So if we're going official, I'd be like, uh, he won second place in the funniest person in Iowa contest, and he was a run- he, he he was in the semifinals of the funniest person with a day job at the House of Comedy in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I guess. It's your second time being on the pod. Yep. 
Ampersand, we did a Before the Stage. And as much as I enjoy those episodes, I also like to just kind of dig deep into having a conversation with uh, the person one-on-one. The Before the Stage has been fun, but it's also been chaotic because we have so many people that's talking at the same time. Right. I'm just a dude. I, I grew up in Osage. Um, before that, I lived in Green. I went to high school in Osage and uh, got into a lot of trouble when I was a kid. Got into drugs and stuff and then got clean and moved away from Osage to Mason City. And then I started my career in mental health, working at a PMIC facility, which is a psychiatric and medical institute for children. And that's kind of where I found my professional calling uh, in mental health. And uh, I worked there for 10 years until I kind of got burnt out of uh, working with kids. And so I transferred over in the last year, I transferred over to working with adults with uh, mental health and substance abuse issues. I mean, that's, I, that's my passion. That's what I love to do. Got like five cats, four rats, and a guinea pig that we're taking care of right now. So we got a zoo at home. So this, this guinea pig thing is, is true. Yeah, yeah. No, her, she's a hairless guinea pig. Her name's Ballsack. She belongs to my girlfriend's sister, but she has this fucking disease called Bumblefoot, which it's lethal, but it doesn't sound serious at all. But they get lumps on their feet, so we have to give her a bath. Uh, and up some salts every night, and we're basically we might be this guinea pig's hospice care, but we're trying to keep her alive. So, like, why does why is this show or or Toys for Tots in general uh, special to you? Well, basically, I mean, a I worked with kids for ten years. I obviously have a passion for helping out kids. I had a really, really, really rough childhood at some points. My mom raised me by herself, you know, for a lot of my childhood until I was about eleven or twelve. And so, like, I know what it's like to, I, I knew what it was like to go without, you know, she, she always made sure that I had everything that I needed, and my grandparents were always around to make sure that I had everything that I wanted, but I also spent 10 years working with kids that they got one present for Christmas, and they spent the entire morning crying because they couldn't believe that they were able to get a present, so I know how much that fucking means out there when we do that, like, I know how... I know I've seen personally kids receive a toy that could be from this show, you know what I mean? And I see the impact that that has, and that's something that, like... Dude, why the fuck wouldn't you get super pumped about doing that? You know what I mean? Being able to help out with that, being able to create a draw so people come and donate, and and being you know partially responsible for the success of this show is something that I take great pride in, and and it's it's because of my work with kids that I did for ten years that that I, it's really important to me. I know I know the impact that it makes. I saw it personally. So, what is your relationship now with your mother? So my mom and I like we had a really rough time when I was growing up. Um, she tried to be there for me, but also, you know, she had a marriage to a bad dude and, you know, he was not good for me, but she was just as trapped as I was in that, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of abuse and stuff and I held that against her and moved out when I was 16, started doing a bunch of drugs and shit like that, getting into trouble. What was your favorite drug? I was really, really bad into meth for a while. So from like ages 16 to about 19, uh, I was doing it pretty much every time that I could. I was just working jobs that I could, losing jobs, getting new jobs, and living on couches and, and doing drugs, doing meth. And then um, I, I kind of used that as a way to maybe rebel against my mom, and uh, you know, a little bit. And then after I moved away and we got some space from each other and we didn't talk very often for like a year, um, slowly our relationship started to repair. She divorced that dude. Uh, she gave me you know two beautiful siblings with that dude that I love very much. My little sister's in college now. Like, uh, so, like, there's a lot of good that came from it, but it took us a while, but now, like, we talk every week, usually, my mom and I, and 
I go see him every chance I get. My sister comes to my shows now. My mom comes. She's super supportive. Uh, she's married to a great dude. His name's Jeff. Jeff's a great guy. My mom and Jeff are very happy. My mom actually just got a job at the University of Iowa Children's Hospital, so she's moving down to Iowa City. So my relationship, to sum it up, with my mom was rocky for a long time because of the decisions I made and, honestly, the, the decisions that she made. But uh, with space and both of us maturing a little bit and understanding our relationship and letting go of that blame game that, that I had for her, of, like, you got me beat up, you know, like realizing that she took more beatings from me than I probably got myself and having open conversation. I, I mean, we're, we're pretty close now, you know, like we don't see each other all the time. And sometimes when we talk, it gets a little rocky, but we're always up front. And we're always honest with each other. So I think it's a really stable and healthy relationship now. I think that that boy mom relationship is, is very like pinnacle. Like if, but it, it is, I mean, it, it will be, I mean, psychologically, there's there's evidence that your relationship with your mother is going to be reflected later on in life in your relationships with significant others. You know what I mean? The women that you date in your life, the way that your mom treats you is like a it's a it's a very, very important phase in your life. Your relationship with your mom growing up and 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 it does. I mean, your formative years are your formative years for a reason. I mean, that's when all those impressions are made on you that are going to shape who you are and to to reshape that later down the road. If it's something negative that you have to fix, it takes a lot of inner work and acknowledgement and honestly therapy. So I've known you for what six years now. Like, how has that your relationship with your mom affect your, you know, romantic relationships? Well, if I was going to talk on like a psychological aspect, like the my mom marrying that dude that was not kind to me and not good to me, um, when when he was doing those things to me and she chose to stay, that that created this very deep-rooted lack of trust for for the w one woman in my life at that time you know what i mean the most important woman and that reflected down the road in my relationships with significant others because i would have severe stress and anxiety i had like an attachment disorder because my mom bailed on me when i needed her the most that was my perception of of her choosing him over me and so that created in, in a in a subconscious way that i ultimately figured out through therapy and self-examination that like I was projecting those feelings that onto the next woman that I was letting be important in my life, the next woman I was willing to put my trust in. And it's like, oh, she's going to leave me, she's not going to be there for me, or she's going to cheat on me. And, I, and that's the first, like, three relationships I had after I moved to Mason City and started growing up were, they were terrible. I was not a good boyfriend. I was a terrible partner. I was anxious. I was attached at the hip. I was codependence. It was, it was, it was gross, and it was bad, and... and you know those those all those women like they were willing to stick with me and try to see it through to the other side but ultimately i ended up bailing because i couldn't after so long of feeling that stress that this person is going to hurt you that even when they don't it still just hurts and you're like man i'm so fucking tired i can't give anything more to this relationship because i've spent all of my energy into stressing about losing it so it's like i'm just going to get out of here uh, I want to go back to 2017. What I want to touch on specifically is your journey of starting to do comedy, doing the open mics, and then getting good. I'm a, I'm a guy that says, if I said it, it's been said. Right. I don't need to re-say it. I think you're incredibly great at comedy, and I think your journey has been beautiful to watch it's like a fucking sunflower and i don't know about sunflowers i just i say it as if i know vast knowledge about flowers but take me to hey i'm actually good at this i'm people are telling me and it's more than just my family and friends i'm i'm getting booked more when was that 
Are you looking for your next book to read? It's about to get cold outside. You you want to curl up with a good read by the fire, put your jammies on, hot chocolate. Let me tell you about a new book called How to Afford Everything by Dr. Darla Bishop. Her life experience, education, and career has meddled into a passion for improving the health of communities. Empowering individuals with financial literacy is the cornerstone of forging thriving, resilient communities. With years of experience working to change not only her own financial life and a passion for educating others. She's excited to guide you through changing your relationship with money. She's an author, keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, and she's also a Peace Talk sponsor. You can order the book from her website, DarlaBishop.com or AffordEverythingBook.com. You can use promo code DAY for free shipping. Order the book, change your life today. Uh, it was when I got first place at Top of the Pot. That's when I really realized that this was this was going to be something that I could actually do. You know, I started off uh, the first time I ever tried to do comedy. I drove down to Des Moines to do comedy at a venue that's not there anymore. I can't remember the name of it, but I was so terrified that I just got completely drunk and fell asleep in the seat at the bar and missed my name being called and missed my whole set. And then we just had to turn around and my roommate at the time drove me back to Mason City just drunk and pissed off and I woke up angry at the world, missed my chance, didn't ever do the comedy. And then... uh Basically, that's when I was like, let's do this open, let's make this happen. I talked to a man by the name of John Carden. He had Fion Barra at the time, and he was willing to give us a space. And so did the open mic there, and I did my first set. I wore a suit every single time when I started, because <laughs> I just thought that's what you did. I remember that. Yeah, yep, I'd wear the suit every time. And it was it was rough. It was terrible. I didn't understand, like... I just knew that I wanted to be funny, but I didn't understand all of the intricacies, the joke writing, the, the structure of a joke, the delivery, how important your presence on that stage is, and how half of your success, like, the crowd is, it's their call, you know what I mean, on what's funny. You don't just get to go up there and say, no, this is funny, and then they're just like, oh, you're right. No, you have to win them over. It's their call. You don't get to pick, you know? And so learning all of that, and then got first place, and I remember, like, going to hug my mom and crying. Because I'd wanted so badly to be okay at this and have this be something that I could do regularly. And that was probably like that moment where it kind of turned the corner where it's like, okay, maybe I'll take this a little bit more seriously. Because it wasn't just my mom coming up and saying you did good. It wasn't just, you know, whatever. It was a room full of people that all agreed that I did really well that night. You can only doubt yourself through so much validation. And, and that was the, the overwhelming amount of validation that made me get out of my head a little bit and be like, stop being an asshole to yourself. You're, you're okay at this. What I remember about that night was after the show, I think you took a picture of the envelope because back then, our top of the pot, Max grand prize was 50 bucks. Yep. Um, uh, you took a picture of it. And I remember the first money I ever made for comedy, which was... Uh, spoiler alert, here in Mason City, Iowa. I was, oh my goodness, I want to say this is t- 2009. There was a comic passing through. There was a bar. He knew I did comedy like seven times. Uh, I did shows at his place. And then I was going to open for this comedian coming by. And <laughs> the comedian canceled the night before. And uh, Jeff is his name. He used to have a place called Toast Bar out here. And he was like, hey, do you want to still do the show? I was like, I got a good 10 minutes. And I ended up doing like 40-something minutes, uh, a, amount of time I should not have been. But he, 
he gave me 50 bucks and i was like this this is the fucking this is the dream dude i took a picture i still have that envelope it's in the safe at sierra's house i kept that envelope and i i will always because like she's my girlfriend we've been together for about three years now but that envelope made it through like four different moves and like moving in with another girlfriend and then we break up and then i move back in with my roommate that i lived with for seven years shout out to dusty he's a man I'm going to be trying to get him to come out to one of these shows here coming up soon, but uh, he's a busy guy, you know what I mean? Like, he works his ass off, he's got a house, he's got a partner, he's got dogs, he's got he's got his own little family going, and uh, we, we kind of, we keep in touch, like, we'll send each other stupid memes and shit on the internet, but, uh, but uh, I mean, I know that he's doing good, and he knows that I'm doing good, and plus, after seven years together, you know what I mean, like... We were common law married by that time. Like, we know, and if we need each other, we know that we're both there, you know, so that's cool. But I still have that envelope was the point. I still, I kept that, and there's a couple of, I kept, I've kept a key from every hotel that I've gotten to stay in for free because of comedy so far. Yep. Again, this may be something else I've never said. Like, I don't want to take credit for anything that you've accomplished because you fucking did it. Like, it was, like... If I sign off on you, if I recommend you and you do shitty, obviously that comes back to me. All right. But if I recommend you, you do great, you get this, people call me like, hey, how's it? And you do well. That's because of fucking you. It's not because I got you through the door. And Dante taught me that. Like, um, there are gigs I got because of Dante. Maybe not that. Let me say that again. There are gigs I've gotten and people would reach out to Dante and he would give me the stamp of, of of approval, but if I don't go do, if I don't go do my thing, then all of it's for nothing. So I never sit here and think I am responsible for your comedy career. I've uh, I've done like it's it's all you. Well, I I, I do want to say on that note, uh, funnily enough, I was I did a one of the afternoon shows with Bernard not too long ago, and what he told me is that. I made the choice to not just like work with you, but I made the choice to listen to everything that you said, to soak it in and and to apply it in a way that allowed me to grow. So, yeah, you you could sit here and give me all the advice in the world, but at the end of the day, I still have to fucking take it. Yes. And there's and, and Bernard said he's he's tried to help some people out at times and you see it a lot in comedy where somebody tries to help somebody else out but that person just wants to do it their own way they don't fucking listen and then things don't go so well because they don't take the advice from the people that are offering to mentor them or help them out and and show them what works and what doesn't work and and it's never it's never a conversation of this is the only way to do it it's really a you know it's a it's a conversation of best practices hey this really worked for me i would recommend it at the beginning of the episode you were like hey for an introduction just say this i had someone recently send me a fucking paragraph i mean not like one of those like small paragraphs like a thick ass paragraph like a bio and i was like hey i don't actually need bios anymore but thank you and this person was like no i want you to say this as my introduction on stage and i said i'm not gonna read that i'm not gonna listen <laughs> that's not what shows the goal is to get you introduced and then get you up on stage and then you do the rest <laughs> i share that with the only purpose of like listen things have worked for me things have not worked for me i am now in a position where i don't want to give unsolicited information i would rather you come to me and say hey day what do you think about this or what's your opinion on this and i'll tell you but i'm out of the business of hey dylan do this hey person do this because in my experience it 
doesn't really benefit me. You asked about like when I realized that like, you know, that maybe I'm like good at this or whatever. Well, that's one of the reasons is because I listen to everybody. I don't take every bit of advice and apply it directly to what I'm trying to do because I still don't even fully know what I'm trying to do. You know what I mean? I'm trying to put together good shows every month here in Mason. I'm trying to bring comics that I look up to. So I get an opportunity to work with them. It's a little bit selfish, but it, it's also great because they get paid well and they come and put on a great show and then I get to learn from them. Willie Farrell, Wednesday night in Des Moines, I got to watch him work and dude, he was, he was watching him work. The crowd was... He's a fucking legend. Dude, it was incredible. And he, dude, he told me I had a good set and I was shitting my pants because, not because I didn't really know much of him before. Willie is a fucking legend, bro. Yeah, I've seen his name everywhere. I know his contributions to the comedy scene in Des Moines, but I never really, you know what I mean? And so, like, when he told me I had a good set, I was, like, shitting my britches a little bit. I was like, because I watch, I just got to watch him work. And so, seeing somebody of that caliber acknowledge that what I put out that evening was, was noteworthy was just fucking huge for me. Always being able to watch a pro or somebody that's been doing it for a while work and really watching, not going out to smoke or going to the bathroom, you know, or going up to get drinks the entire time during the set, sitting and actively watching those professionals that have been in it for a while, watching them work is, is a huge reason that I'm, I'm learning and growing and continuing to do well is because you pick up something every time. And so that that's part of how I got to this point is because I pay attention. The fact that you were willing to listen to me was kind of the first like step like that was the first thing that made me like incredibly invested in you it was one of those things like he's actually doing this shit and it's i don't know if you can but i can see the benefits of it and I, i told jason when he was on the pod a couple episodes ago like it's so fucking dope to pull up facebook and see comics that i know that you guys know and that you're on their flyers doing their shows this business is so fucking crazy, but as a dad, <laughs> I mean, as a dad, sorry, it gives me like a very proud, like good job because I, I asked Jason this and feel free to chime in if you want. But I was like, when I think of North Iowa, North Iowa comedy specifically, I think of Dylan Meek, Jason Clemens, the other guys. And I asked him the question of, are you guys the guy? And, you know, he gave me a Jason Clemens answer, but uh, are you guys the guy? Hey, what's good? It's Day. And uh, if you're listening and you're like, hey, how can I support more? How can I be a part of the magic in a bigger way than just listening to the pod regularly? That answer is become a sponsor. Very easy to do. And a lot of times people think you have to pay me hundreds of dollars. No, it's, it's, it's just a couple of bucks a month. And you can kind of pick and choose if you want to sponsor my Monday marital talk with my wife. If you want to do the Thursday episodes, if you just want to sponsor a segment like Monica's question of the day or favorite things on the road, you can do that. Uh, if you just want a shout out, like, hey, shout me out. Um, I, you know, uh, I, I lost 70 pounds, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, uh, I just finally fit in my size five shoot, whatever it is. Like, uh, look, we can have fun. Uh, if you have a business, obviously I'll read an ad uh, and support you in that way and more so uh, i just want to come up here and say hey look looking for sponsors we off to a great start with season seven and uh if anybody wants to jump on you are more than welcome 
I think that we're doing a lot of things incredibly right. I think that when the comics come here that we book and when they leave, even if we don't get a great turnout at the show, they leave feeling respected, acknowledged, and they leave fucking paid, man. You helped, like, you offered the information and the tools that led to... I wouldn't know what I was doing booking a show if I hadn't watched you put shows together and and asked you about how you put shows together. I wouldn't know shit about that. And I'm fucking lucky, too, because I got Jason with me all the time. And and for all of my lofty ideas and my ambition with it, and for all the chaos that I create by constantly just trying to make things happen for us, he's there on the other end of the spectrum to fucking say, hey... Let's think about the logistics of this. I like that. I've never thought of Jason being a logistic, logical individual, to be honest. <laughs> he is so fucking grounded, dude. It would it would shock you. But no, he he's the one always wondering about, well, what's the sound going to be like? What's the lights going to be like? I'm like, I got a show. Let's get in the fucking car and go. And he's like, do they have sound? Do they have lights? I was like, fuck, I didn't ask. He's the guy that does that. And I'm the guy that like goes out and I'll fucking have a half hour conversation with everybody that I can after the show. I'll build relationships and then I'll reach out and say come here i'll take chances i'll fucking bother venues to let us do a show there you know and and then he's there to fucking make sure that it all goes right we're out of time uh i know this shit goes by fast no it's all right man there are three topics that we had kind of on our list and i'll have you kind of choose which one you prefer to kind of speak on in, in the episode on one was dating a comedian and the reason why i thought that was even intriguing is because again i've seen you in a, a couple of different relationships but I'm married as a comedian, so I can kind of talk on what being married life is as a comedian, but I was just so curious about being like dating and being a comedian and in that place because my entire comedy career, I've actually been with Monica. We've been on and off in some spurts of our relationship, but it's essentially just been the one woman. So I, I, I just thought that was intriguing. Second thing. I don't actually think there's a reason to kind of go back and talk about drinking because, uh, again, our first open mic that we ever did, I remember you going, you were, you hosted the show and then John, he reached out to me and he wanted to do like monthly shows and I was reluctant, but we ended up doing one and I had you on that show. I think I call it if money has no color. Cause that was the, that was the series I was doing at the time. And I had you on and you brought the suit and I had you go up, I think first and you did 10 minutes and you were incredibly plastered. And I don't think I've ever said plastered as a black person in my fucking life. That's the only way to describe what I was that night. I was, I was blacked out before I even got up there. So I was going to have you talk about your relationship with alcohol or option number three, just your mental health, the, the stability of doing what we do. And making sure there's that there's that daily or weekly or monthly check-in to make sure you're good. So what would you like to end the episode on talking about? I think we'll talk about dating a comedian and the mental health will tie into that. Like that's it's just gonna they're they're so intertwined. Because <laughs> okay. so so for me right now, my relationship, you know, um, with with Sierra is it's probably the most stable it's definitely the most stable relationship I've ever had. We, we bought a house. We have a house together, you know, and we have all our cats and shit, but it's, it's hard. You know what I mean? It's hard for her and it's hard for me. A, it's hard for me, not just for being a comedian, but with working in mental health, I spend 40 plus hours a week listening to other people's problems. And I do that by choice because I'm compassionate about it. And it means the world to me and I want to help. 
But at the end of the day, when you do that, and then you turn around and on the weekend you have to go and you have to impress rooms full of people, that means those moments where Sierra and I are alone and she wants to maybe talk about things, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I give a shit. It's hard for me to give a shit sometimes because I'm so burnt at both ends of the social spectrum, of the thinking and problem solving and listening to other people's issues spectrum that when she wants to bring up a problem, immediately it's like, I just want to go to bed instead. Like, can I just go to bed instead of talk? And then there's like, you know, the travel and, and you know, her own anxieties based on some of my behavior when I was really unstable last year. And, and you know, I, I was unfaithful to her at one point early on in our relationship, and it was because of drinking. So when comedy and drinking go together and my mental health is not good, and then I say, hey, I'm going to be going to Bismarck, North Dakota in January, and I'm staying in a hotel, and uh, you're not going to be able to come with me, uh, that creates immediate anxiety in her. Because if I'm not doing well at the time, that's a red flag. I'm drinking. Uh, if I'm drinking, I'm staying in the hotel, so I don't have to worry about driving, so there's a more of a chance that I'm going to drink. And then she's not there. So that creates anxiety and it creates tension. So it's a really tricky thing. And she does a great job managing it. And I need to do a lot better. And I think a lot of that will come from me taking more care of myself and setting boundaries and limits for what I'm willing to engage with. Because I always want to be engaged with my friends, with my family, and I take on too much and it wears me down. But I need to make time for her because she's the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I think that was beautiful. I like what you... <laughs> it's a lot, but, man, I mean, that's the honest-to-God truth of it. It's hard. Look, thank you for making time. I know when I was kind of looking for people to have on the podcast, this has been an, this has been one of those things, just like a lot of things on my plate, where I just pile on, and I now do two episodes a week, and I have to edit them, and they, it, it's a grueling thing, but I'm at a point now, two things that I, I want to say I'm at a point now where I'm, if I'm not challenging myself, what the fuck am I doing? No, absolutely. And I totally get that. I've done oh so much, but for me right now, that's not enough. And I, I noticed this about myself more recently is I, I'm really great, but I'm also content in some areas. And I realize in order to be greater, to do the things that I talk about wanting to do, I've got to remove myself from from I have to remove myself from comfortable situations and truly challenge myself. And the second thing is I am now at a point where I'm pushing 40. That's my new shit right now. I'm pushing fucking 40. I'm an old fucking man, uh Dylan. And, and I don't want to I don't want to I don't have the time to try to interpret what people are saying. Like say what you really want to say to me. Um I have conversations Sometimes in my DM, sometimes in person where in my mind, I'm like, what the fuck are you really saying? And I, I'm, I'm trying to now navigate to a point where this is the most honest version of myself that I can be with not only you as an individual, but myself. Uh, hey, thank you for making time. I, I, I didn't want you to feel like I didn't want you on the podcast, that I didn't want to talk to you, but I just wanted to make sure I had time to actually do it. No, that's a dude, man, I, I know how busy I am. So I, I, I see what you're doing all the time. And uh, you're just constantly fucking working. And I see that I would never be offended by something like that, man. Like, I don't have any time to take things personally. You know what I mean? I, I don't have time to get in my head about what other people are doing. I know that we're good because I check in. I'll fuck up every now and then and we'll have to have a check in. You know, I love Meek. 
yeah. I love me some Meek. Yeah. I may name the episode that. Yeah. I love me some Meek. And, I'm, and again, I know we're strapped for time. We got to get. Uh, I'm proud of you. I love you. I think um, part of the role that I like to be- pretend that I play is just being a part and witnessing and watching the growth of not only yourself, but like a Jason Clemens, uh, who we actually didn't do shows with for a couple of years, a Miranda Moses. And again, from, from the seat that I'm sitting in, I think you guys are doing great. You specifically, I think you're doing wonderful things and I can't wait to see, uh, how things continue to grow for you. So, and I feel the same about you, man. I, I know that you're already doing well and you're doing big things and I know that you're always moving, but I can't wait to see what you do me- next, man. And I love you too, man. I really do appreciate you having me on. Thank you.